want to build a community and share other women's stories. everyone and welcome to Tea with TE, the She Who Leads podcast. It's 2024. We are kicking off with a brand new episode talking about how to step outside of your comfort zone and with no better than Krina Pupaza, who is the Chief People Officer at Nimbus. Krina, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Terry. I'm excited to be here and Happy New Year to everyone. New Year, new beginnings. I'm very excited. And I think we have such a topical conversation for today, kind of talking about pushing ourselves out of the, the boundaries. And I know that's a theme from us having talked about it that you have pretty much lived by throughout your whole career, which we're going to talk about in a bit more depth. So I think first things first, if you're able to just give us a, a bit of a snapshot history in um, regards to your career and kind of the journey that you've been on today. Absolutely. So I'm currently in a chief people officer role and I have been in people and culture or HR for the past 20 plus years of my career. And I, like, like many others, probably many of your listeners, I did not start thinking I would do this. Probably I didn't even knew, knew, know what it was. I started thinking I will go down a path of clinical psychology, and that was going to be my education, my training, my career. But as fate has it, at one point I emigrated to the United States. I'm originally from Romania ended up getting a degree in psychology. But then I realized that to be a really good clinical psychologist, language is your tool. And as English is my second language, not having that so well refined, and it's much better now than it was 20 years ago, believe me, it, it felt like a handicap in my career choices. So at that point, decided that I already had a background in psychology. I loved it. I was very interested in people dynamics, in particular group dynamics, and always being interested in business, organizational psychology, which is the precursor of my career, is the path that I chose at that point. And then slowly really build my experience into HR. I had different roles with different companies, I often tell people I made a horrible recruiter. I was a recruiter for a couple of years. Not my thing. I have the biggest respect for recruiters, but you have to know what you're good at and what you're not. Um, I worked mostly as a generalist business partner in different companies and really tried retail, non-for-profit, asset management, technology companies, and with each step and along with the team of changing and making yourself uncomfortable on purpose, I learned. And that got me to where I am today. And I know that my path will continue and there are things that I believe I know today, but probably tomorrow it will be very different and I'm still doing my learning. Yes, which is great. And I think it's something that we all have to embark on as we grow in our careers from a learning perspective. I know that's something that we'll talk a little bit about as well in a moment, but I think really interested into in, in learning about the, the transitions that you've made. Obviously, you touched upon it there. You did go from clinical psychology to organi or organizational psychology and then into financial services. 
And so it's been this kind of whirlwind, I guess, of what's what's created your career. So how did those transitions challenge you? And I think even just the relocation piece was probably something huge for you at the time. But how did they challenge you? And then what risks did you take along the way? Yeah, every change has been challenging in its own way. And honestly, as I reflect back, Terry, probably the most learning has come out of those changes. And I value it today and I try to infuse it and to guide my children towards making changes because as much as they are not comfortable, they don't feel natural, you do not feel like the smartest person in the room. At the end of the day, you're a better self than you were yesterday. And one of the things that that I've learned in my career, the one worst thing that you can do for your growth is to remain stagnant. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I often find myself in the position of letting people go out of companies because their skill set became irrelevant. Mm -hmm. The world around us is changing a lot. The companies, the society, technology, everything, it's an incredible pace. If you do not evolve, soon you're becoming the dinosaur in the room. And that's one of the things that's always top of mind. I'm always seeking that learning. I'm always seeking that exposure to something new because I'm, I am a firm believer that all of these experiences will make me better at my craft. And I am currently in um, I, I'm currently in a role where there's no playbook for what I do. Yeah. There's no, you do X, Y will happen. I am hired really for my judgment. And my judgment comes in as I need to predict outcomes of the decisions that the company makes. So the more experience, the more exposure you have, the better you become at taking decisions and being closer with your mm -hmm. predictions in those decisions. You, you asked a little bit about what are some of the learnings uh, and maybe broader, the learnings that have gathered along those changes, starting with my experience of how do you adjust to a new culture? Like I, I came yeah. from Romania, 2002, very different Romania than Romania is even today, right? Like, at that point there were no credit cards there was mm -hmm. no digital experience in, in at this level I came to the U.S. completely different world from my perspective and I really needed to figure out how to find my spot how to really start over in a way and yeah. that was a very humbling experience because you go from thinking you know your way around, you know what you're doing, how to be successful, to really trial and error. And very much at that point, relying on the kindness of strangers to people that would guide you, people that would open doors, people that honestly had nothing to gain out of offering me a chance, but they did because probably they, they saw themselves at one point in their lives and careers. So that has been really a theme that I found throughout my changes and experiences, finding those people that are willing to lend you a hand, those yeah. people that are willing to give you some advice when maybe you're 
not approaching things well, and really the, those perspectives that may be different than yours. So yeah. ultimately, I learned I got more knowledge. I learned more about mm-hmm. business in general. I got better at how to do my craft. Yeah. But more than so, it's the... Um, the strategies of how to be successful and how to find the path that I got out of all of the changes and transitions in my career. Yeah, and and there have been a few that those shifts I think have been quite pivotal for you, and it, and 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 I can see how obviously each time it has been quite a a change, and obviously those changes, like you say, it's, you're not stepping straight into something that's familiar which I think is normally the hardest thing for people to do. I think we get stuck in the norm and, and we like what's comfortable rather than, than not. And the change to Nimbus was a big one. And I know you wanted to get into the startup world. And I'd love to hear about kind of some of the pushback that you got as well during that journey, because I, I, it's it's a common one and people do feel it. And um, But what prompted going from a corporate into a startup? And I, I'm assuming it's probably something to do with you liking to be outside of your comfort zone, to be honest. But where did that come from and, and how has it been? Um, I'm not sure I would say I really like it because I don't like it just like <laughs> everybody else. I dislike it, but I still think that <laughs> I think there's value. I do it because yeah. I think there's value. I think if I choose not to do it, it could be much worse, right? Um, And you're right, it was a significant change, although, to be honest, I did not expect it. And and even before Nimbus, my first startup um, experience has been with a research company called Insider Intelligence. And at that point, I came off a very successful decade career in asset management. I moved along the, the ranks and I was doing very well. I was highly respected. I really thought I was at the height of of my career. And in many ways it it was, right? But then what I wanted to do, it's really try to work into startups because at this point, and this was 2019, right? Just before the pandemic, many of the larger companies for good reason thought that innovation, speed of decision, high growth, it's happening in the smaller companies. Mm -hmm. So I wanted that experience. I wanted to try myself, see I can be equally successful in this type of environment. Um, And I thought that I will be received with open arms. I thought that recruiters and companies will be all over my background, Mm -hmm. believing that what I have to bring from... um, the, the side of corporate will be highly valuable, but that was not the case. It took me a good time. And oftentimes I, along the way, I got offers from some other asset management companies that I was still mm-hmm. talking to. It, it was hard saying no, because at one point I was starting to lose faith that I can make that transition. Mm-hmm. Honestly, the, the biggest um, black dot against me was the fact that I had been in more mature established companies. Yeah. And I think <laughs> I think there's a, there's a belief that you get so comfortable and used to having resources and a team of people working for you and you become more of a coordinator, less of a doer. Um, 
that it was hard for me to convince people that I can thrive in an environment where I'm both the strategist, but I can also roll up my sleeves and, and do the mm -hmm. work. But it, eventually it happened. And it was so, sometimes, Terry, I will, uh, I go back and say, oh my God, be careful what you ask for, because you may get it. <laughs> so it has been that experience, a lot of yeah. learning, very quick, furious, and really the biggest um, change that I take out of, of this transition is the fact that I went from really putting a lot of work into the projects, initiatives, anything that I would do. And sometimes it would take me six, 12 months, even more to get a project out, where now if I have a week, it's a good day, right? Most often you yeah. have to get it out just like that. But you, the the mindset is different because you are going from nothing to something. Yeah, there's something good to something marginally better. Yeah, which which is a different mindset shift, isn't it? I think it's evident from the from the moves that you have made and and from some of the big milestones that you've had throughout your career, and such as choosing to move to the US and 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 some of the roles that you've taken on. But thinking about this, obviously, given we are the She Who Leads podcast and thinking about the fact that you are so, I think, intrinsically driven to take on new things. What's your biggest learning more so as a, a female leader during this? Um, I'll say be the change you want to see. Mm -hmm. Often, and I look back at my experience, the, the past 10, 20 years, it changed so much. It changed so much for the better. But also I think there's still a lot to be done. And don't be afraid if you are the first woman to be at the table. Don't be afraid if you are the first woman to be on such and such project. And oftentimes you have to put yourself out there because there may not have been a prior role mm -hmm. model that you can see. But if there's, and there will be, when there's a chance, be ready for it. Yeah. That's my biggest learning. Learn, grow, find supporters and advocates within the places where you operate and make sure that when that opportunity comes and it will come, mm -hmm. it's a matter of time, you're ready. You have a very interesting story that I'd love just to go into a bit more detail on because when you told this to me, I thought it was very interesting about when you did move to the US and you finished your degree. And I know we'll touch a little bit on that because I know it's one of the key moments for you. Um, but just that little bit of story of, of joining somewhere and you weren't necessarily ahead of people from a an experienced perspective from a mm. professional side, but actually you had the life experience and I'd love to just touch upon that a little bit because I think you saw a real difference in yourself I think from from that moment yeah I'll share that story one thing I will say I'm currently in the position and I'm very grateful for it where not only I'm mentored by people but I mentor a lot of people yes and one of the things that probably every person that I mentor will tell you I say is you cannot live somebody else's life story. You can only live yours. And 
there's a famous quote, I believe, that says that comparison is the the um, the killer of joy or happiness, something yeah, like that. Yeah, I say that to my teams. I'm always like, well, don't don't think about what other people are doing. This is really how you think about yourself. A hundred percent. And I wasn't always in this more wise mindset, right? But earlier in my career, so I come to the US, I'm last year in undergrad, I come here, I take a break until I find my footing, go back to school, ended up doing three more years just to get a degree in the US, take a break in between, go to grad school. Anyway, by the time I got my first corporate job, I was close to my 30s. And I was at the same level with my colleagues who were freshly out of school, oftentimes of college. So they were what, 22, maybe 23 years old. Um, Where the people that were in my age group, they were already two, three, four levels above because they had 10 years of experience. And my my, my first instinct was, I do the same work. I do similar work with my peers, but they made twice plus the money. They had a bigger title. They had more interesting work um, and realized that I was in this situation where I'm neither that entry level, but certainly not that senior. And what I realized that it helped me was the fact that I was older in an entry level position came with some personal maturity and some judgment and the things that I prioritized were not the things that my colleagues that were 22 prioritized, right? So that ended up being a huge differentiator for me. And I used that to my advantage because I could go and be in front of an executive and hold a conversation. I did have the maturity of how to react, what to say, what not to say, when to say it. And honestly, it helped me a lot because I I even ended up being promoted way earlier than many of my colleagues. But something that was mine, uniquely mine, ended Mm -hmm. up being an advantage. And I think the only reason that it did is because I changed my perspective, how I thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. Which... Like you say, I think when you are younger and you're starting out, so to anyone who is listening to this, who is kind of probably in the more early stages of their career, I think it's natural to look around you and think, oh my gosh, why don't I have the same title as X or Y? But actually, it really doesn't matter and you will get there at some point. You just need to focus on your own journey and not everybody else's, which I I think is easier said than done. It comes with... uh, experience and maturity I think (laughs) it comes but it comes with all of those I will also say there's a freedom when you cannot change things I could not be my friend and I could not be John I was Krina people could not pronounce my name okay (laughs) but they knew who I was because I would stop and talk to people and I got to know people along the way so I could be me that was the absolutely only choice I had yeah. But the thing that changed was will I use that as a mental mindset shift to help me see it as an advantage? 
or yeah. will I spend all of the time in my mind thinking, why not? Why can't I be yeah. like this person? Because I couldn't have changed it anyway. Exactly. Exactly. But I think it's a great thing to talk about, especially as women. I know that men feel this too, but I do think as women, we're probably laser focused on on comparison for some reason. I don't know why, but we, I think we do look at it a little bit more. Let's talk about the the career defining moments for you, because I think this is always interesting for people and it's definitely not the same across all the female leaders that I speak to. What would you say those kind of three pivotal moments have been that have defined your career? Mm. Probably if you were to ask me this question every few years, I will have answered it differently. But as I look back now, the things that are more important for me are those aha moments. Less mm -hmm. of when I became a VP or yeah. when I got the chief people title or when I made X amount of money. Yeah, the, Those are certainly part of the journey, but yeah. I think all of those came when I had those aha moments. Mm -hmm. And probably one of them is th this example or, or what we just talked about right realizing I can only live my own life story and I should yeah. um, the other one for me has been the moment when I embraced the idea of leveraging your network and that what that truly means and maybe I'll spend yeah. a little bit of time there because I think many people hate the mm -hmm. idea of working they think oh I'm gonna go to a conference talk to random strangers, and then I reach out to them when I need something from yeah. them. Um, that's not how I think about it, not at all. For me, networking, it's really, as you go through different roles, mm -hmm. you build a legacy in each of those positions or companies that you are with. And if you're doing a good job, not only you're good professionally, but you're a good human. Yeah you will make friends and people that respect you. And those are the type of relationships that accumulate over time. And what I find it to be very rewarding is not what I take from my network, but what I give back to my network. Um, and it costs so little to make mm -hmm. an introduction or to pick up the phone when somebody's calling and trying to, to get your thoughts. But those are the experiences that really help you grow your network and find value in it to the point when you do need your network, it does yeah. not awkward. You already offered so much yeah. to ask someone for, to put your name in for a job yeah. or to advise you on such and such. It just feels natural. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And maybe for the third experience that I will say, um, at one point I realized that thinking in five-year plans helps mm -hmm. me a lot. Yeah. And not that I am prescriptive into what I want to do in the next five years. It's never that case, but more directionally, what I'm going to focus on, mm -hmm. understanding that you are the lead of your own growth you are yeah. in the driver's seat so you need to know where you are going because otherwise time passes anyway this is another yeah. that I tell my my mentees yeah 
time passes anyway, right? Mm-hmm. So when you look back, what will you find that you took out of that experience? Did yeah. you get closer to something that you think, huh, it would be interesting to have that? Yeah. Um, I know you didn't ask this, but I, I'll, I'll say it as a side story. Um, I never wanted to be the top leader in a company in my function, right? For a long period of time, I got to a point in in my career where I had the highest position in a company that anyone Mm -hmm. in my family did. I made more money than anyone in my family did. And I really had a very good life. I was respected. I enjoyed what I was doing and it was nice and comfortable. Yeah. So it wasn't until I got to work with C-level executives that I realized, oh my God, I'm just as smart as all of them. I work just as hard as all of them. The only difference that's keeping me from where I am to where they are is the fact that I don't want it. Yeah. And that coupled with the fact that I wa- I kept thinking, why are there so few women at the top? Why mm-hmm. oftentimes you see HR is traditionally a women's field, right? Yeah. But in many companies, the top role yeah. was held by a male colleague. So it wasn't until I thought, okay, this is a good goal. Maybe over the next five years, I need to be that person. Mm-hmm. So that that combination of being ready and wanting it at the same time, mm-hmm. I think it's oftentimes the, the key to how you move forward. Yes, exactly. And thank you for being one of those people that is advocating for a bit of change at the top. And, and like you say, I think sometimes naturally, and I think we'll probably talk about this a little bit I mean we can we can definitely talk about it now I think balancing career and home life and being a mother is difficult and so a lot of times we probably choose one over the other and not both and I think that's probably where some people get to I think sometimes they think do I want to go through that but as you say it's probably you probably were doing all of these things anyway and actually the the slight different is the seat at the table and and the title more than anything else really so what would you are there any and and was that a moment for you I know that we've talked about it a little bit and you kind of said look when my children were young I realized it wasn't my time to step up but how do people navigate that I think as mm-hmm. as female leaders how do we navigate that so one thing I will say I I believe everybody's story is a little bit different right Mm -hmm. and everyone's energy level is different I can tell you that mine is finite so what I put energy into yeah it's very thoughtful and intentional yeah and throughout my life and and my husband's and my career, we always thought about who can we who can we put in the position of taking more risk, accelerating versus who needs to be more yeah. safe. 
and and we do have that dynamic where we are making those choices okay. based on on a variety of things that are happening in our lives. But I, I have two children. I have a son and a daughter, and when they were little, I realized that, and, and there were opportunities, right? I realized that taking a huge, big opportunity at that point was not going to work. Probably if I tried to do it all at the same time, yeah. it would have been exhausting, or I would have to sacrifice one of the other and then feel guilty about it. Yeah. For me, it was just saying, I'm going to pass this one. Yeah. And I believe there will be another train to take you there because I did not have the energy to do yeah. everything. But what I did was stay relevant mm -hmm. for those couple of years when I needed to, to get my energy back and, and yeah. that I could take more. And, and the other thing that we did was very splitting responsibilities finding what we can realistically do versus not taking all of the help that we could get because you're right having a full-time job being a full-time and you want to be a good parent right it's Ooh. not that you're a parent you want to be a good parent um plus i always believe as a woman or as a person you really need to take care of yourself I'm Krina outside of being a mother, a wife, yeah. a chief people officer. Yeah. I need to nurture Krina because if she's not happy, then she cannot make anybody else happy. Yeah. Right? Um, so I, I think it's a little bit about how do we balance, but also be mindful that as so many women work full time, we cannot do it all. We cannot yeah. iron and cook and clean the entire house and care for the kids and go to all of the events and bake and do that. Like you cannot. So yeah. you have to figure out are there things that if you're lucky enough, you, maybe you can outsource. Are there things that you're okay to just not doing, period? Yeah. And then make sure that those things that really, really matter to you are the things that you put your finite level of yeah energy. yeah which I, I really like and I think it kind of goes back to your previous point of actually trying to think in those five-year moments like the, the moments that you would like to think about within the five-year journey and and how you work back from those because I think that's actually that's definitely quite helpful and um, I know that we talked about balancing but also how from your side, what have you found from a, a female perspective? And I think this kind of leaning more on your chief, chief people officer skill set. And, and I think it's something that came through as a bit of a passion of yours. But how can we create cultures to help with fostering an environment that not just for the female generation, it just helps with empowerment generally across the team? What, what's your beliefs on that? Yeah, yeah. Um... I'm very passionate about this topic and, and honestly, I think we could do a whole session on it. But yeah. some of the things that I believe are culture is more important than we even talk about. And I know we talk about it a lot and some people roll their eyes and some people are firm believers. But I 
still dream of a day when culture becomes the differentiator yeah. in the company's success and it can because if you look at the professional companies their outcomes their results their problems their um, differentiators are all driven by the people and the culture they create and I think there's a ton of room to improve and mm -hmm. there's also a lot of things that have already improved or gotten yeah. worse so the one thing I will say as being key is really being intentional. Culture happens regardless. There's yeah, no place that does not have a culture. You have a culture. Yeah. You may not know what your culture is. or yeah. you, may, <laughs> you, you have not created it, but be intentional about what you want to create. The other thing I will say is be mindful of what the company offers to the individual as well because many companies ask 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 yeah but they do not re re reciprocate in that relationship mm -hmm. right so find what you have to offer and make it known and make sure that it aligns with what you want and then third i will say reward and enhance those type of behaviors and actions that you want to see and I think all of these are known where we see problems are the fact that oftentimes we think we want that and we yeah. do but we are not willing to make the hard decisions to make it happen yeah. I'll tell you a little story I worked and this has been a little bit of a team in my education in my mm -hmm. career in my life but I've been in situations where I was the big fish in the small pond yeah. or a very small fish in a large pond. Yeah. And this in this second example, I was blessed a few times to work with teams that every single person on the team was smarter, motivated, knew their craft, and I was at the entry level of that group. Yeah. And oftentimes I would be the lowest paid because everybody was great, right? I was good, but everybody else was great. Or I would not get the really interesting projects, but I stayed and I loved it because I've learned so much from that group. Mm. It's It was an advantage in itself, right? So... I believe there's room to improve how we think about cultures. And mm -hmm. I think that the managers in companies are the key to how we do that. Yeah. And the idea of leveraging people and, and creating the environment where they can be themselves, it's everything. Yeah. You, you, you talked about women and how do we... How do we create the right environment for them? One of the things that I very much value and I do as a leader with my team, I offer a lot of flexibility. Yeah. And because people have the right mindset, they appreciate that. Mm -hmm. I do not care if they take two, day, two, two hours off to go and take their kids to an event. Yeah. Like that. 
because I know that person, mother or father, mm-hmm. is going to do twice the work in half the time later yeah. on. Yeah. It's they are not taking advantage, and I would not put up with it. But yeah. I know they value the fact that I, I don't question what time they log in and log off. Yeah. I can see the results they produce. Yeah. But it's trust, right? It's trust. And I think, again, not to stereotype, but I do think as females, when we are, there is an expectation that we should balance more. I think we are more open on that trust conversation. I think it's harder for, to stereotypically type it speaking, but from kind of previous generations where it was like, no, you are five days in the office and that is the, that is it. There's no conversation to be had. That that mentality has changed, obviously, I think just more broadly speaking across COVID and, and things that have happened since then from a flexibility perspective. But I do think we probably have more of a an idea of the fact that I think we know that when we're building this culture, people do trust us. So actually, like you say, then it is reciprocated. You're not going to necessarily go away and, and not make up the time after. I think it's a hard culture to to craft but it's yeah. great when you get it right yeah what well, one of the things that i loved about my, my experience with nimbus and coming in was the fact that the company is fully remote and has mm-hmm. always been so it's not a pre okay. kind of experience yeah. and the second the, the leadership, the CEO has been very mindful about tracking and monitoring gender diversity and, and other types of diversity. Mm-hmm. And, and many other companies that I work for, they will say, we care about it, but they are not willing to measure it. And they are certainly yeah. not holding anyone accountable. Um, and FinTech right? Because mm-hmm. you have financial services, yeah. technology combined. It's usually one of the least yeah, uh, representing. Exactly. Yeah. But what, what we were able to see that if we cared about it, we and we tracked it. That was the secret. And we tracked okay. it. So we reported on it. We looked at this data the CEO said, I care if it goes below this number, should go above okay. this number, right? It made a difference because there's a lot of highly capable women out there. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of finding them. I know we oftentimes say, oh, it's hard. The population, the candidate pool is X. They, they are out there. Just be willing to spend another month, two months with that search if that's a priority for you. Mm-hmm. And then also understand that you're missing out on talent. So I I will say this, if you believe that what you do, the the business that you have, it's instrumental that everybody's in the office at the same time, Mm -hmm. nine to five, Monday to Friday or whatever, by all means do it. It's your process, right? But be okay with the consequences. Mm -hmm. And then understand what you can do and make sure that you keep your goals and your understanding of what type of candidates you will get into the door yeah as part of the decision you make 
So it's not that they are not out there. You made a decision that prevents them from being there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We um, obviously it's, it's quite key in what we do. And, and as you know, Karina, I've been in the in the HR space particularly for a long time. But from for us, for Triton Exec, we try and teach on the philosophy of diversity of thought when hiring because you might have the perfect person. They might not necessarily be in the identical role right now, but they probably got the skill set. And I think one thing that we have really seen as a shift for people that are genuinely serious about diversity hiring is just being a little bit more creative on, okay, how this person might not tick all of the boxes, but they kind of do in everything else. We actually, for one of our biggest clients, moved an HR leader into sales. And they never would have thought of this person going into sales. And we just said, she's really interested in doing it. What, like, why don't you try it? And she was already in the business, but it was so it was an internal move and we kind of just had to shift their mindset. And she could always go back to that role. And that was the caveat. It was kind of like, okay, let's let's try this and see if it works. And it was a really interesting development for us because I think we really saw the insight from the client who obviously really did want to try and push for diversity, but we were struggling to find the person. So you could see that there was genuine commitment to that. So I think it was really, really great to see. I love that story, Terry. And I think one of the one of the things that I would love to see hopefully in my lifetime, mm-hmm. we, we talk a lot about innovation in business, right? We talk a lot about innovation in products, innovation yeah. in strategy, innovation in go-to-market. We do not talk about innovation in talent management we don't talk about innovation in culture Um, and I hope that that is the next wave and that we are willing to try out different things we are willing to ask why or why not more often And, and one of the things that maybe to date myself when I started in this business or in HR, HR was still very much, it's our policy. It's yeah. not in the handbook. You it's can't not, do that. <laughs> can't do that right? So probably I spent a good time of my career trying to understand, is it in the policy because it has to be in the policy or because someone moons back, made a decision it should be there and yeah. nobody knows any different. And that's one of my favorite things to challenge. Is it in the policy because it's a law? Is it because it's a best practice? Or is it because we just decided it should be there and then we should question it and maybe change it if it no longer works for us? Exactly. Exactly. And like you say, a bit of innovation in our own policies, it's not set in stone. I think we're getting there from what I can see across the board. I, I know there has been a shift and I'm sure you've seen it during your career, but I certainly don't think we're we're there for every business right now. Um, Karina, I think there's so many things that we've talked about that are going to be very helpful for anyone that is listening to this, but in terms of advice and thinking about future leaders, particularly thinking about female leaders, um, 
is there any advice that you would give to to people pushing themselves outside of their comfort zone and how do they develop the courage because I think there's all well and good wanting to do something I think sometimes we, we're not courageous enough to do it mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on that um one of the things that has always worked for me it's realizing that I know how it feels being me now or yeah. where I am in this position and I can always go back right mm-hmm. and if I try to do something else I'll try it for feet and if I don't like it I can always mm-hmm. go back here if I like it then it's my choice to stay right and I've used yeah. this mindset even when I, when I moved to the U.S. I already knew what my life in Romania was and it was a good life I could yeah. always go back to that right yeah. I chose to put myself in the situation of being uncomfortable, of of rebuilding a life. And if I liked it, I stayed, but I can always go back, right? Mm -hmm. So I think realize that what you think you have to lose, it's only that comfort. And we do things that are way harder than trying something new in our lives. We talked about balancing, and one of my good friends says, you can't have it all, but you can have a lot, right? So we yeah. already have a lot and we balance a lot. Go and try it. If it doesn't feel right, just come back. You had an experience. Yeah. And then the other thing that I will say to to your female listeners and, and women leaders, find a network. Find a network of mentors, of experts, of people within the company that are willing to support you sometimes are willing to call you out you need to hear when things are not as you think they are you need that group around you and and this is valid for women men everyone but particularly as you are trying to move from one level to the other you need supporters you need sponsors you need people who will believe in you when you don't yeah right and then you also need people to tell you, hey, you took the wrong turn here, so yeah. you need to come back. Um, and then continue to learn. Continue to mm-hmm. learn and believe that tomorrow you will know more than you did today and certainly mm-hmm. more than yesterday and, and see what happens. Whether yeah. or not you get to be the leader you envision becomes irrelevant it's more about the experience the people yeah. what happens along the way and um I'm usually very available including to to strangers I will strangers Aww. I will respond to, to LinkedIn um questions if I can help in any way if I can share any of my stories if I can make any of introductions people can find me on LinkedIn and I'm happy to to connect Thank you. That's really kind. I think there's a there's a piece which is also be comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? When you move into something and it's not it's not nice to begin with, and I think you have to just live through those very. You might question yourself, yes, a bit <laughs> before you can move forward. Um, so just kind of get understand that and give it a chance before you go back to to where you were. And one last thing, and I know that you are, we're probably over time, but I think there's so much to share. And you've talked about this, and I think as females, we don't talk about this enough, is the power of negotiation Mm. and negotiating as a female 
because I think you've got an interesting perspective being on the other side of the fence so, and, and just a quick bit of insight into that I think will be really helpful because I do think that pushes people out of their comfort zone people won't negotiate because they're scared to ask a hundred percent um having been in the position where I often make offers I've learned mm. how men negotiate and how women negotiate and men negotiate from the moment they start talking to you yeah. and women oftentimes don't negotiate ever it got better over the years. I will say that. I see more women negotiating and I am that HR leader where if you're not negotiating and you're a woman, I will yeah. call you back and say, let's try again. But one of the things, and it's just discomfort, the way you say it and how you ask for more is everything. I mm-hmm. think we are afraid that we may be losing the position that was already offered. Yeah. Um, but there's a smart way of saying, I'm happy with this. Can we talk about these small details, right? Yeah. It already gives that vibe of like, I'm ready to accept. There's just some small things that we mm-hmm. need to fix. And oftentimes, if there's more money, sometimes there's not, right? Yeah. The company is very strict. This is yeah. the day, take it or leave it. And that's fine. Yeah. But not trying it's wrong because it doesn't make you stronger at negotiating. Yeah. And oftentimes, even if you don't get a lot, you may get something. Mm-hmm. And that's money in your pocket that over time, it's going to compound in, in oh. you making less. Yeah. And so I'm very passionate about that. That's another thing that I help people think through, through how they negotiate their salaries. Yeah. It's a skill and you can learn it just like everything else. Krina, thank you so much. So much great insight, I think, as a, a way into 2024. Everybody's going to be listening and thinking, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to set my five-year plan and I'm going to, to reach some goals and also not be afraid to take them. So thank you so, so much for sharing. One last question, because we are the Tea with Tea podcast. How do you take your tea? Hmm. So I'm mostly a coffee drinker, but on occasion when I will have tea, it's with sugar and lemon, never milk. I never even tried it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I think it's mainly an English thing, the tea with milk. (laughs) Well, um, maybe next time I make it to to the UK, I'll I'll give it a try just to make sure that I had that experience. What if I'm missing out and I actually love it? I think you might. Hopefully we can have a cup of tea together when you're in London. That would be really nice. Yes, I very much enjoyed our conversation. And as I said, it's one of the things that I'm passionate about. One of the things that I'm hoping the world continues towards doing better. And the main difference that I see from my vantage point between doing it, between getting or not getting to whatever there is, is yeah. wanting it yeah. and then taking one step in front of the other and hope it works because there's always that chance, yeah. the luck, the circumstances, all yeah. of the things that we don't control. But if we focus on the things that we can, yeah. maybe it, it works out. Thank you so much. I think really, really helpful. Have a great start to your year. 
and I'm sure we'll speak soon. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you.